Okay, you guys, here we go. She Runs Ultras, episode number 77. And one of the things that always comes up, not only in my own training, but in conversations with my one-on-one clients and in the group programs that I offer, is training consistently. Um, Just this idea of consistency across the board in your training. And everyone that I know, including myself, struggles at some point or another with showing up to their training consistently. So in this episode, we're going to talk about consistency and I'm going to see how many times I can say the word consistent or consistency. (laughs) And I'm going to give you three tips that will set you up for success when it comes to training consistently. Bonus points for anyone who actually wants to count the number of times I say this word and DM it to me. (laughs) Okay, so I think we can all agree just at the onset that consistently training is the linchpin to what I always say is like smashing your goals. Because when you show up sporadically, you never build any sort of momentum or you never really like get on a roll. So before we dive into, I've got three tips for you. Before we dive into those, I want to share a story that will sort of demonstrate what we're going to talk about. And we got to go sort of all the way back in the day. Um, and talk about how I took piano lessons growing up, okay? So I got this idea to take piano lessons from watching both my grandmother and my mom play at home and, you know, like when we would get together for family gatherings. And I started out just sort of tinkering on the upright piano that we had in our living room. And then, I don't know, I don't remember how old I was exactly, but one day my mom just asked me if I would like to take lessons. I have a secret theory that she probably did this because she was tired of hearing me play the same two songs that I taught myself over and over again, but I ended up taking lessons uh, for a decent amount of time. Again, this is so long ago. I don't actually remember exactly how long, but long enough. And I kept up with them probably for like a couple of years. And as a result, I got pretty good as if I do say so myself, but I definitely wasn't as good as I could have been. And as you can probably imagine, to play the piano, it takes a lot of practice. You have to study the major and the minor scales. You have to understand where to put your fingers, how to cross them over, how to go fast and slow. You have to master the timing and the tempo. And all I really wanted, to be perfectly honest, was to play like the really big, impressive classical pieces by Tchaikovsky and Rachmaninoff. Like those are probably my two favorite composers. The problem was, well, I had two problems. One, I didn't really want to practice. I just wanted to like be fast forward and just do the thing already. And two, I didn't actually want anybody else to hear me while I was practicing. Because back then I didn't understand the concept of being bad at something before you got good at it. Like I just assumed or thought that like I'm I play the piano, therefore I should be good. Like it didn't occur to me that I was going to have to put in a lot of time and effort in order to get that way. Like I saw other people doing it and I was just like, oh, like maybe it will just happen faster for me. Who knows? I have no clue as to what my 10-year-old, 11-year-old brain was thinking back then. But basically, I didn't want anyone else to hear me practice. Mostly because I didn't want the constructive criticism of or from my parents, 
uh, or maybe like the snide comments from my younger brothers about my lack of skills. And so in order to do that, I basically practiced when I got home from school off the bus before anybody else came home. So my mom wasn't home from work yet and my brothers and my sister weren't home from school yet because they went to a different school and they got home at a different time. So I had like a half hour, 45 minute window where I could practice. And some days I did it, some days I did not, right? But the one thing that all this taught me, I guess I should say, I should back up and say, eventually I gave it up because I just couldn't find the time. I didn't want other people to hear me. I didn't like the constructive criticism. I just, like, I just gave it up. And plus I got busy with other sports. Now I regret that because I would love to be able to sit down and play the piano right now. We don't have one in our house at this point, but I eventually gave it up. But the one thing that it did teach me was the value of consistency. Like uh, 2020 is hindsight. Like I definitely see now that had I been consistent with this, even if I had just committed to practicing, you know, like 30 minutes a day, I, I would be very good. Like to the point where I could probably have abandoned it for a while and then come back and sort of have that muscle memory to be able to pick off relatively where I left off. But when I was showing up to practice consistently, my playing was great. I did really well. And when I skipped days or weeks, sometimes at a time, my skill level definitely dropped significantly. And I tell you this because the same thing is true about running ultras. And if I were to give you one piece of advice when it comes to training for your first or even your farthest ultra, it would be to show up consistently and practice, 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 okay? So when you run sporadically, your body never adapts. And I think a lot of you guys probably understand this because if you run three times one week, no times the next week, one time the following week, and then you try and do like five runs the following week, you're all over the place. And you don't build that crucial base as you progress through your season and your results actually decline instead of compound. So when you show up consistently to train, your your results are actually going to compound. I've mentioned the book, The Compound Effect, a couple of times on the show. Uh, I don't remember exactly what episodes, but it's a this little book by Darren Hardy. It's I have it behind me, but I don't know how many pages. It's less than a hundred pages, maybe like it's a tiny little book. You can breeze through it in one night if you're a super fast reader, but it's, it's a phenomenal book because it basically breaks down this idea of the compound effect and how just putting in a tiny little bit of work consistently over time is going to pay off big time. So over the years, I've noticed that there are basically three things that, that always line up when I'm training consistently. So if you'd like to sort of boost your consistency in your training, I'm going to walk through these three things and I want you to sort of reflect on where you fall on this spectrum. Like, are you doing these things and where could you start to plug some of this in, in order to get more consistent? So the first one with, I would not be me if I did not make thing number one on this list, get a training plan. Hands down, it is much easier to train consistently when you've got a plan to follow that literally outlines what to do and when to do it. I mean, it doesn't get any easier. And when you have that, you don't have to waste time or brain cells trying to figure out what you're going to do every day. I can't think of anything more exhausting 
than waking up every single day and trying to figure out, okay, so yesterday I did three miles, today I should do five miles, and then how am I gonna manage to get all this, like, what should I do this weekend? Have I done enough hills? Have I done enough, like, if you have the plan, you don't have to waste those times or those brain cells trying to map it all out because that's a process that if you don't have a plan, if you're just winging it, you're doing that consistently every single day over and over and over again. If you think about uh, the idea of decision fatigue, that's a prime example. It's not that you guys don't want to train consistently or that you can't do it. You just get decision fatigue. You get worn out from trying to make the decision. It's not that you are bad at running. You're bad at training. Your brain is just exhausted from trying to process that much information over and over and over again. So when you have the plan, you don't get decision fatigue because you know exactly what you have to do. You just need to show up and do it. You can check your schedule the night before, lay out all your stuff and be ready to hit the ground running 100% pun intended, when you wake up the next day. I was talking to the Run Your First 50K group last night and talking about my, how I was going to map out my busy days. And I will literally lay out in my room all of my clothes in the order that I'm going to put them on. And then I will make a little sticky note and write out the order of operations so that all I have to do is get up and do the thing that's on the sticky note. I don't even have to think about it because I've already decided ahead of time and I've mapped out the plan for I'm going to get up, I'm going to eat, I'm going to get changed, I'm going to run, you know, literally bam, 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 bam. I will write it all out. And some days I don't, but some days if it's going to be a really busy day or like yesterday was a really sort of emotional roller coaster day because of my dog, she's sick. And so I didn't trust myself to think clearly this morning. So I wrote everything out for myself. So get a plan, map it out for yourself and just keep focused on what you need to do. I have this concept or this idea called tripping hazards, right? We talk about tripping hazards out on the trail. You know, it could be a rock or a root or a tree stump or a leaf in my cases sometimes, right? But tripping hazards in the bigger context of training are the things that I think are going to literally trip you up from being able to train consistently. And when you identify these things and you find solutions for them ahead of time, almost eliminating them as tripping hazards, you're going to be more successful, okay? So I'll talk more about that in a separate episode, but just sort of start to identify your own tripping hazards. And if you don't have a plan, that is thing number one, get a training plan. Um, If you haven't already, if you're sort of a new listener, hello, welcome. um, You can go and get the first 10 weeks of my signature 50K training plan by going to my website. And that's www.megan.com. M-E-G-H-A-N dash Gould, G-O-U-L-D dot com forward slash the number 10 week plan all as one word. There's no spaces in there. And that will take you to the place where you can download the first 10 weeks and that will get you started on the right foot. Okay. So go get that if you haven't already. Thing number two in this list of tips here is make training a priority. Way too many people and I am guilty of this back in the day, way too many people try to fit ultra training into an already super jam-packed schedule. This, my friends, is a recipe for disaster, okay? 
This will cause you to be stressed out, overworked, underslept, underfed, underhydrated, like you're just trying to do too many things. And in order to train consistently, you and the people in your life need to know that this is a priority. And as such, it should go to the top of the list of things to do and not the bottom. Okay. So cramming it into whatever sort of leftover time you have to take care of everything else is not a viable game plan, but way too many people I see are doing this. Um, and I get that it's not everybody's job. I mean, it's not my job either. We're not paid athletes. We're not, most of us aren't like sponsored getting compensation for this. And so we have to fit it into the, the in-between times, but of that time, it can be the priority of the things. I shared this image, this quote from a book called Winning by Tim Grover. He has written a couple of really great books and um, this is the second one of his that I'm reading. And I shared this screenshot on my Instagram stories the other night and I want to I want to read it to you. So because it's just very timely for what we're talking about. So he says, you have to master the art of no. No is a complete sentence. It requires no interpretation and everyone around the globe understands what it means. They might, they might not like what it means, but they understand it. And every time you say yes, every time you say maybe or not right now, when you really want to say no, winning rolls its eyes and looks at someone else. And he uses winning sort of, um, he talks about winning as if it's a person in this book. So it's winning with a capital W. Why is it so hard to say no? I know you want to help people. You want to be nice. You want to show that you can take on everything and make it all work. But winning doesn't need you to do any of those things. Winning needs you to win. So he was a trainer for many professional athletes um, in the NBA and many athletes beyond the NBA. And so he writes these books about um, being resilient, relentless, winning, and how you can achieve these things. And so, like I said, he's talking about winning sort of in the third person as if it was an actual thing or a person. But the, the point of this is you have to say no. And I'm I find this very difficult sometimes. So I'm sort of practicing what I preach here in saying no to things that aren't allowing me to achieve my goal of running the Tahoe 200. There's lots of stuff that I've said no to that I'm just not doing um, in order to make training a priority. And this is why sort of going back to the previous point, like having a training plan, like we're not trying to train year round. There's some seasonality to it. You have some downtime where you can shift your attention towards those other things. Maybe it's shift more attention to your family or your job or household maintenance or whatever. I'm just pulling random excuses out of the air, but I think you understand what I'm saying your attention and your focus needs to go on the thing that is of the utmost importance. And everybody is going to make a different hierarchy or have a different hierarchy of those things. But if you've said that completing your first or your farthest ultra is important to you, then it needs to take its rightful position in that hierarchy. You can't say that it's super important and have it be the absolute bottom thing on that list of things to do. Those things don't compute. They're not compatible. That's not congruent, all the C words, 
to what you say you want to do. Like your actions don't match your words. Okay. So make training a priority and let's all together, I'm going to take this pledge with you, (laughs) try to do more of saying no to the things that don't contribute to that higher goal of completing your ultra. All right. Thing number three on this list is get some accountability. Everybody, including me, everybody needs accountability on some level to succeed. I've been sharing my training on social media. Like I've been documenting it on my Instagram stories. I talk about it on this podcast. I mean, that's the whole reason this podcast exists. This is how I'm getting my accountability. And you guys check in with me about it. You send me DMs, you send me emails, random people while I'm running on the trails, stop me and ask me questions. Like this is how I'm getting my accountability. You might like to do it in a different way. You might want to set weekly check-ins with a friend, uh, weekly dates to like go running with friends. You might even hire a coach to help you keep on track, but you need some accountability. Many of us can generate enough internal motivation to do it, but on some level, we do need that external motivation. So whatever method you choose, you know, whether you find a friend, you hire a coach, you document it on social media, you need some accountability to help you focus and stay on task, okay? One of the ways that I've sort of realized that I definitely need accountability because I always thought that I was somebody who was really good at generating that internal motivation. Like, oh, no problem. I can totally get shit done. If you've ever thought that, I would highly encourage you to become your own boss (laughs) because starting my coaching business and becoming my own boss has really taught me that I am very motivated. I am very driven. I'm responsible. I am all those things. But if I don't have somebody sort of keeping tabs on me, it's very easy for me to be like, "Mm, that thing, it's not very important. Um, I don't really need to tackle that right now. I mean, having this podcast and having a consistent release date, knowing that you guys are going to be looking for it on Friday morning when you open up your podcasting app, that's accountability. So that's just another way that I am getting accountable for the work that needs to be done. So think about that in the grand scheme of things, okay? There's lots of different ways that you can get accountable and it can be as simple as like what I'm talking about. But being your own boss will for sure highlight or teach you how well you do these things on your own and maybe where you really should get some accountability. Like I have coaches, I have other people that I check in, I have you guys that hold me responsible for the podcast and all of it just works. In the beginning, I didn't have that. I got far less done. Now I get more done because people are counting on me and I have those accountability people to hold my feet to the fire. Okay, this sort of brings me to thing number four. I know I said we were just going to talk about three things, but I can never keep a list to the, the normal amount of things. I always have to add at least one or two things more in there. So I have a fourth thing for you because it's very important and it really fits in with all the other things that we're talking about. And that is that you need to develop momentum. Notice I didn't say motivation. I did talk about motivation earlier, But motivation and momentum are two completely different things. You see a lot of motivational air quotes, motivational quotes sort of out there in the running world, you know, all the like fancy things that sort of get you pumped up 
for the subsequent 30 seconds. Motivation is fleeting. Momentum is really a force to be reckoned with. And when you harness it, training becomes easier because it's a habit that you've developed through momentum. And momentum simply means that you're stringing together days and you get sort of on a roll of training and you're doing it consistently. So consistency and momentum sort of go hand in hand. Um, If you wanna go deeper on this, you can go back and listen to episode 53 of the podcast where I talk about, I think the title for that one is like my hot take on how to build momentum and achieve your running goals. That's a good one for you to sort of solidify this idea. But momentum comes when you show up and you put in the work consistently. Now, I'm not talking about turning your training into a streak and seeing how many back-to-back days you can train because there are going to be days when you can't train. Like yesterday, for example, for me, yesterday was just sort of like a hot mess of a day woke up early because the dog was sick and sort of had to juggle taking her to and from the vet while having one-on-one appointments. And my day was just sort of hijacked by needing to take care of the dog, which is fine. But what I did was understand that day in the bigger context of my training. And so for me, when that happens, when I have a day where my training gets hijacked and I can't do it, then it is really important for me to the following day, get back on the horse, so to speak, and show up and do training. Now, I had some other accountability today because I have to teach a couple classes and, you know, I have some other appointments that are going to require me to show up. So that was sort of easy because I can't flake out on those things. But that's where having that accountability partner or somebody to check in with becomes really important so that you don't sort of get all all up in your head and think, well, I didn't do it yesterday. I skipped a day. What's the point today? And you sort of get into this it's funny because like we were talking about this last night in run your first 50k we were talking about this idea of the hamster wheel or this downward negative sort of spiral when you get into that headspace but developing momentum will keep you from going there like it will help to keep you sort of on a higher vibration if so to speak and showing up every day to do the thing so Developing that momentum, not relying on the fleeting motivation of, you know, somebody sending you a quote or some sort of like, you know, image or whatever. Like you need to get that momentum going. It's like a rock rolling downhill. You want to be the rock rolling downhill. It's got so much momentum that even when it gets to the bottom, it keeps going. And even when it gets to the bottom, if it has enough momentum, it can go up another hill on the other side. Okay, so just sort of keep that in mind. Now, because this theme of consistency keeps coming up over and over again, like I said, in my own training, in conversations that I've been having, in the group programs that we're working on, um, I've actually been working on something that will help you with all four of the tips that we just talked about today. So getting a plan, making training a priority, accountability, and building momentum. I'm not quite ready. It's not quite ready for me to announce what it is yet, but keep your eyes and ears peeled if you listen to the podcast and or if you are on my mailing list, we'll talk about it. 
because basically it's going to happen after I get back from Tahoe. As of today, there are 23 days. I'm recording this on Thursday. Uh, there's 23 days left until Tahoe. Um, so I won't be doing it before that, but when we come back, I'm going to hit the ground running and we have so much cool stuff to announce and share with you guys. Okay. So in the meantime, use these four tips and start working on training consistently. Okay. So the first thing that I mentioned was going to get that 10 week plan, um, megan-gould.com forward slash 10 week plan. You can get that there. That will start you out. You can start by saying no more often, which I fully admit is uncomfortable, but I think that if you can master this skill, it will really help you. And that's not that you're saying no indefinitely. You're just saying no right now. Okay. You're saying no for the finite period of time that's required in order for you to accomplish this goal. And then if you want to pick that thing up again, or do that thing, whatever it is that you're saying no to later on down the line, you can totally do that. But right now, if it doesn't feed into yet that bigger goal of finishing your first or your farthest ultra, it's a no. And the first couple of times it's going to be very uncomfortable. Okay. I fully admit that. However, you can counteract that by finding an accountability buddy, getting some sort of accountability, whether that's in real life, a a human being, a person, or whether that's through social media or, you know, hiring a coach, get some accountability and then start stringing together some days and build the momentum that's required to crush your ultra goals. Okay. If you need help with this, um, you can, by all means, reach out to me. You can DM me on Instagram at find your ultra. You can shoot me an email, Megan at Megan school.com. I'm totally happy to help and like get, give you suggestions and sort of help you like game plan this whole scenario. But consistency is what's going to take you not only to hit your goal, but also to the next level. All right, you guys, that's all for this episode. Enjoy this beat and I'll see you all soon.